Well, this morning, as, um, as, as we gather, uh, we've, uh, we've come to a conclusion of a message series that we've been doing entitled, God is on a Mission. And if you look on the front of your bulletins, you'll see basically the graphic that we've set up for this, and it's all black basic, in, 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 its, in its, all of its uh, uh, essential color. And today I just wanted to put that into a little bit different frame of understanding by showing it in color with a bullseye because God actually is looking at that empty tomb and then he's looking at you and I and he's seeing all kinds of wonderful things that um, we as of yet are unable to see or just beginning to take in. And um, the thing I love about the gospel is it is a mystery, but it's the kind of mystery that is a never-ending, just a journey of discovery of the things that God has for you and I. And I want to just highlight that concept from a book in the uh, New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, called Ephesians. And in Ephesians, we read these words. It says... With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, meaning you and I and everyone that God possibly can gather up. Uh, into a new way of living. But if you're like me, you're, you're easily distracted by the things that we see just visually or we smell through our nose and, and the effects that that has on us. And we forget about that layer of life that has to do with the spiritual realities that are the basic foundation for the life that we live here on earth. And as you and I gather today, uh, I hope that I can bring to bear upon your heart and your mind the reality of this mystery uh, just a little bit more fuller, uh, perhaps, than you had when you came in. And uh, if you're like me, you've been... You've been coming to church for a long time, or maybe this is uh, maybe it's completely different, and you've only been here uh, a few times or a few times to church in your life. But either either case, one thing that I do know is that we've heard about Jesus, we've heard about sin, we've heard about the resurrection, we've heard about the cross. Uh, it's just everywhere, and sometimes I think we forget just how powerful those realities actually are. And we need a wake-up reminder occasionally so that we can get a fresh perspective as to what God has going on in the world and what God specifically has going on in each of our lives. And one way that really struck me as an effective perspective changer uh, is, uh, is just going into the world a little bit uh, through the eyes of someone who is colorblind. Did you know there are 300 million people on this planet that cannot see colors? It's, uh, maybe there's some people in this room. Okay, all right. Uh, Ethan, Ethan's one of them. Maybe, maybe this will, will help you out. Uh, believe it or not, uh, technology being what it is, uh, there are companies that are 
are, are seeing that need and their whole reason for being is to allow those who are unable to see color to begin to experience it uh, for the first time. And it can be pretty overpowering. And I just want to show you uh, the reaction of a 72-year-old man who has been gifted with a set of glasses that are designed to reveal to him things that have been there the whole time, but he hasn't had the capacity to see. Uh, So let's just take a look. Don't break it. For the colorblind, I am colorblind. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Now these are these are special glasses. You can't have engineered that when people wear them that are colorblind, you can see color just like we all see. And it came with balloons and all that. Oh my! I can put these on. Just to think about for the first time seeing colors like reds and, and blues and, and greens. Assuming that the hat that you wore uh, for the 72 years of your life, if you wore it that long or even half that was pink when in reality it was blue. And yet whenever the glasses were put on, his, uh, on in front of his eyes, he saw something that he never saw before. Yet it was right there the whole time. And what God wants to do for each of us is to give us a fresh perspective, a new capacity to see things that we, prior to him coming into our world and sharing with us the good news and allowing his mercies to overshadow all of those barriers that keep us from seeing him, what God did was nothing nothing less than that. Matter of fact, To the contrary, it was uh, on an order of magnitude so much more powerful. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to be colorblind and to have these things unfold in front of me. And I can't imagine what it would be like to continue going through life at 53 like I am now without a significant event happening in my own life at age 19 and the complete change that it created for me in my view of the world and my view of my relationship with God and other people and my purpose. 
And all of those things are bundled up into Easter. Did you know that? It is God's way of saying when the empty tomb happened, everything changed. And I love this verse that uh, is written to Paul's protege, Timothy, who's pretty timid about the role that he has in proclaiming the good news because it seems like there are dark forces that are not interested in allowing that good news to begin to take hold in lives. And he's facing a lot of resistance. And if you were to back up a little bit to um, the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul when they see this young evangelist struggling, we'd realize something. That nothing less than the forces of death are at work in this world. The, the, the reality is we can't change it. We can't shake it. There's really nothing we can do about it on our own. And one of death's objectives is to just take away life. And if something is living, it wants to see it diminish just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more to the point where pretty soon what we were becomes simply by comparison to what we are or what we've become. We're just a shadow of what we are intended to be. And Paul wrote to Timothy saying, look, there is resistance. But what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing is so critical. You got to keep pushing through because lives are at stake. And this is, this is um, uh, what, what, what he wrote. I want to read this from 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1. It says, Therefore, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, and, and I would add mercies, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It was all planned, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, to me, that is such an awesome statement because in many traditions in the church, especially the Eastern tradition, they see our biggest enemy not as being sin or evil or even Satan himself. They see our biggest enemy as being death. And the resurrection actually is their Christmas in that tradition because when they meet on Easter Sunday, they have all of the fanfare and all of the celebration that we would typically have uh, during Advent and then culminating on Christmas Eve. And when they do that, they are saying to death, you have been destroyed. That is, the destroyer is taking life out of, if you could, if you could say that, out of your deathness. And if you let that soak in for just a minute, I don't know how I could illustrate that. I could illustrate that by just taking a piece of paper and putting it in the paper shredder in the office. Or I could illustrate that by showing you uh, what, what, I, what I discovered when I was looking up things that people destroy. Because they can't have good things, uh, Derek. But uh, we know you can. Uh, and and as, uh, as things are being destroyed, there is this machine that is designed to munch Anything that you put into it. And I saw a video of a, 
a, a small delivery truck being dropped into this machine, and I'm like, that thing's just going to bounce around. But no, it just sucks it in, and then that delivery truck became... Well, it became little pieces of shrapnel on the other side. And I was amazed, and it reminded me of what Jesus actually did when he rose from the grave. He told death, you, my friend, actually, you're not my friend. You, sir, no, you're not sir. You, you evil destroyer of all things good, you yourself are going into the grinder. Matter of fact, it's just a matter of time before the full effect of what I've done takes hold and life begins to emanate into the lives of other people. Now, if you're like me, that sounds good in church, but I discovered one day whenever I was driving home from uh, uh, work on my motorcycle and I was just looking around and I have to drive up this hill to my house. And as I'm driving up off to the side is a cemetery, which being a pastor, I've seen plenty of cemeteries, but... Being on a motorcycle gives you a little bit different perspective on what you see. And I looked off to the side and I noticed that one of the tombstones right there facing the road uh, looked like this. It said, Leonard. And I'm like, that's dark. And I'm riding up and I'm like, I'm a little creeped out by that. I didn't realize I've been driving by this thing every day for years, and all of a sudden, there's a headstone with my name on it. And I'm like, oh, that's so morbid. I've got to change the channel. And uh, I gas my motorcycle, raced up the hill. I'm like, wait a minute, don't do that. You know, so it, it put me in a panic. And I, I decided I would just get off my bike and park there for a little while and process that. And then I just remembered, you know what? You don't have to worry about that anymore because the good news is that's been settled. God has already dealt with that. And maybe you're in this room and you're thinking that hasn't been settled and that could be my name on that tombstone. And, and, and if you're thinking that and you're a little creeped out by it, don't be. Because there's good news at the end of this message that I think will enable you to drive by that. And now, when I drive by that tombstone, you know what I do? Leonard. (laughs) Jesus took care of that. Even if that is me. Well, you know what? I know that if that's the, the, the mortal remains of Leonard, I am now with the Lord if that if that's going on. Isn't that an awesome thought? I don't have to worry, and I honestly do not worry about it anymore. There was a time when it it just scared the bejeebers out of me, but now, Lord, you're in control. And I can't tell you how liberating that is for a person to come to the realization that they don't have to worry about the constant fear of the one mortal enemy who eventually will get his clutches in me. I I honestly, I don't worry about it. And it frees me up to do the good things. I know a lot of you come to church and you think, the one thing that the cross does is it pays my fire insurance so that if I believe in Jesus, at least I won't go to hell. 
And that's been taught and preached. And, and, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying that becomes the primary scare tactic to get people to believe the gospel. Well, at least I'm saved from hell. But the thing that is so incomplete about that is, sure, that is actually just the first step. Because the second step is, I'm saved from four. And it's the four part that gets me very excited. Because I begin to see that that life becomes immortality. And the Jewish people, even prior to us being grafted in, already began to experience that. And I know a couple of Jewish people, and I'm careful to say anything about any race or anything like that. But the one guy that I met for the... the, It was the first Jewish friend that I had in St. Louis. And I discovered... He was human like everybody else, only it seemed like more so. Uh, you know, his highs were higher and his, you know, his gregariousness was more gregarious and on and on it goes. And I thought, what, what is it about this person from this race that has such a life element to it? Now, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole anymore other than to say that the reality is the thing that his tradition gave us through Abraham was delivered through the empty tomb and the empty cross that is blood stained and when Jesus did that he brought life and immortality to life with the gospel And I just love that about our faith because our faith is sometimes bundled in such a way that it's it's really centered on the fear of hell. And while that certainly is a concern, the gospel doesn't fixate on that as much as just revealing to us the mystery of the new reality. And let me tell you something. Even if, even if there was no promise of living forever, I would still become a Christian. Because everything about our faith is designed to enhance our lives. And believe me, before the gospel became a reality to me as far as my 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 non-technicolor world when I began to see the things that God had in store for me through the church through people that lived it out through reading the word and through finding sincere believers who were perfect and they would tell you I'm not perfect if you want that perfect person that does everything right and obeys all the rules it's not me but I can tell you this I have a relationship with God And it has just changed everything. And there's something that makes that relationship work that keeps me coming back to him. And it is called grace. It is the showering of his mercy on me every day whenever I lack. And when Jesus brings life and immortality to life with the gospel, he's telling us the relationship that I've had in mind for you forever is the very relationship that, um, that, that, that God has created us to live in. Well, I want you to just consider for a second that perspective again that people had whenever they began to see color emerge from a grayscale world 
And I'm going to show another clip. And as you, as you see it, I want you to just replace the things that have to do with the enhanced capacity to see and replace it with the enhanced ability to live when the gospel comes alive in your life. didn't really know there was such a thing as colorblindness at the time. I think I was six or seven. I thought maybe I wasn't intelligent enough to tell, because I didn't know, and I didn't tell my parents, so I just, I stopped painting and drawing. There's some drawings where I wish I could see how my kids put the colors together and what they were visualizing. It's not that I can't name them, there's, there's nothing there. That's gray, and that's gray, and that's gray. moments where girls would make fun of me for not knowing girly shades and I felt self-conscious about it. Sometimes I feel like there is a world of color that I'm just sort of missing out on. Colorblindness is a situation where because your eyes are different than someone else's eyes, you don't see the world the same way. Commonly, red and green don't look different, but look the same. So if there's a kind of a color filter, kind of glasses that would separate colors, they suddenly can see red and green. There's nothing wrong with the wiring. The problem exists in the eye with the photopigments. spectrum that I just was completely not aware of. I'm like getting misty. This is, this is amazing. I've never been able to see this one. And I just want to cry a little bit. <laughs> um, I never realized like how much I was affected by the fact that I can't see the world like the way that other people see the world. When he's drawing, I see him going in and out of his crayon box like 150 times sometimes. Oh wow, that's cool. And now I kind of know why. There's a lot more colors here. All these things that are intentional in life, I never caught on to it. the experience of color is so private that you don't really know how to explain that. So is that what you guys see every day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just everything's flatter. Everything's, yeah, kind of, yeah. I don't want to take them off. Um, it's just dull. It's a little dull, to be honest. I never really thought about my colorblindness that much. It was just something that I had that I dealt with and that wasn't really a big deal to me. But color is an amazing experience that I think people probably take for granted. <clears throat> Whenever I was a kid at 18, 19 years of age, I remember... I remember driving by churches in my hometown 
on my motorcycle, partly because life was dull in that small town of 3,500 people, and at least I could ride my bike and get a thrill out of it. And I'd drive by churches, and I would just imagine what took place in there. And I thought, you know, that is a, that is a Sunday gathering of people that I clearly don't understand. But my assumption would be that when they meet, they would be doing religion. And perhaps as they were doing it, there would be some kind of rituals involving candles or or praying, or kneeling, or something. I just had a lot of vague ideas. And then the few friends that, uh, not really friends, acquaintances that I, I knew of in high school who were Christians, they were pretty judgmental. And they had some pretty harsh things to say about the fact that I disregarded God in my life. And I, I just, my takeaway from the whole thing was, wow, it sounds kind of interesting Because God is somehow bound up in the mix, but there are so many off-putting elements to that, I just can't bring myself to it. The good news is I discovered at a critical point when God just spoke to me after repeatedly trying to woo me into into his orbit, he just began to say, are you tired of running? Are you tired of running away from me? Are you tired of the futility and the frustration? And finally, I just audibly said, yes. And the good news was, things began to change. I began to see things that I hadn't seen before. And it was for three reasons. The church that I became a part of had three characteristics that they just naturally did that totally blew me away. Because the perspective that I had going in and the perspective that I received when I got there was completely different. And this is what I I found. There are three words that describe our faith well if we're doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it. There's no question that the baptistry behind me is that starting point that is an experiential dramatization of that moment when you say, God, it is on. But I also believe that God is already working or has been working prior to the baptismal experience through some of these things. And the first one is just simply relationships. I didn't know when I went to church that people would be so accepting, that they would be so caring, that they would be so non-judgmental that they would actually be loving and encouraging. And when I discovered that, I'm like, wow, never thought I'd find that. But these people just loved on me in such a way that it was healing to my soul. And it wasn't because we were doing a religion together. It wasn't because we were doing rituals together. It wasn't any of that kind of activity that's really secondary. It was centered in a relationship with people who care. And quite honestly, if I was going to know a God, because I'm a relational creature, I'd want to know him in a personal way. And when Jesus came into the world, he said, it doesn't get any more personal than me. And that relationship is something that we, by faith, walk into, and then there are subtle ways that it begins to take hold. And we see Jesus at work in people around us, because I truly believe 
that the relationship that I formed with the friends that I made at the church that I started at was nothing less than God working through their, each of their lives. It's wonderful. But here's the second thing that faith does. It places you in a community. And there's nothing like being in a community of people that care. The problem with the word community is it means that there are people there. And as you know, we all are wonderful people. At least we all think we are sometimes. But sometimes people see things in us that are pretty dark. And you take that deadly mix into a community of people and chances are there's going to be problems. And a lot of churches are just languishing because they don't get community right. And the thing that I, I love about what's, what's starting to happen here and has been sort of uh, getting off the ground for a while is getting community right. And for the last year... Um, we attended a conference down in Atlanta, and I was sort of like, you know, groups, they're okay, but they don't really seem to work very well. And, and then I, I heard a speaker who just, well, he put the glasses on my face, and he said, this is what community can be. And not only did he put the glasses on there to share the vision, but he also he, equipped me, along with his church, has equipped myself and the other staff members in how to do community right and intentionally and in a way that's healthy and in a way that just brings life to bear on the people of that. So we beta tested this. And in the last, um, the, the last probably seven, almost seven weeks, um, we've been gathering with about 15 people. And we said, we need your help in understanding how to do community. And we want to equip you to do community with us. And what we, what we did was just basically started meeting and started doing community. And the last two weeks where we've met and people have shared stories, I have to say, I have to say, Sean, those are some of the two of the most powerful weeks I've had here at First Christian. And I can just imagine this rippling out because finally... You guys don't see the infrastructure or the process or the things that we do behind that. But finally, we've been able to attend to this in a way where I, I am extremely confident that community can happen here in a good way. And next week, we're going to begin to launch it for everyone to be a part of that wants to take, uh, take a role in that. But here's the last thing. Because I don't know about you, but whenever I was at the age of 19, I was trying to think... What is my purpose? And I was looking at people who said, oh yeah, I figured that out in sixth grade. I'm going to be an engineer. Or I figured that out, you know, in high school. I'm going to go on and I'm going to do um, astrophysics. And I'm thinking, I'm just working at a truck stop pumping gas. What's my purpose? Little did I know God was saying, oh, it's been going on for a while. I've been working in all of these things. You just don't know it. And just as you were feeling pain, I was working in these people's lives so that when you went there, they would say, we're ready for him. And just as they were ready for you, Leonard, there's a pastor who's saying, I'm looking for another person like Jack Austin or, or the many other people that he mentored into the ministry. I'm, I'm ready for another candidate. And then I showed up thinking, I, I just want I just want to find my purpose. And 
I annoyed him enough that he sent me to Bible college and said, I can't answer your questions anymore. You go there and that will help you to clarify your purpose. And I just love the fact that God was just working and working and working because the purpose that you and I have isn't just me or you versus the world. It is God orchestrating things in your life and mine for a larger purpose. And that purpose is the unfolding of his mystery through our lives. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. I say if you're not called, don't do it. Because it can be very hazardous. And the only way that you can navigate the hazards of being a pastor, like Timothy was languishing in, is to know that you're called. And have people around you that support you in that capacity as mentors. And the purpose of it all is just God's way of saying, Leonard, this is what you're supposed to do. And Derek, doing what you're doing is what you're supposed to do. And Mark, doing what you're doing is what you're supposed to do right now. It may be for a season, but God's working it together for good. Now here's where I want to go with this. Because nextly, just go ahead and put that next slide up. The next thing I want to ask is how do we participate in this great change God has created for us? Romans 5.8 tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there is a mercy embedded in that statement because it's God's way of saying, I needed to rescue you so I could get you in a good place so I could begin to form the relationship and bring you into community so that you could live out your purpose. But we had to settle something once and for all and that is the relationship that you and I, Leonard, have. And we settled it. And I can remember the day. It was, it was the second week of January on a Monday. And I just finally said, Lord, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm yours. And about two weeks later, I went to the pastor and I said, I need to know more. And about a week later, he said, why don't you get baptized? And I said, let's do it. And so the second week of February, on a Monday, a month later, I went down into the water. I identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I came back up, and I saw in technical, no, it just meant there's just a change, and we're going to walk into it. And sometimes God does some pretty dramatic things, but a lot of times it's that still, small voice that he speaks to us in. Be still and know that I am God. A lot of us are too busy responding to this that we don't take time to be still and just listen. And I was in that small group the other, the other night, and I was surprised... At a few people who said, I remember the day, I remember the hour, I remember the moment that God said, let's settle this. Sean, I remember you sharing that. Sherry. And I thought, wow. I, I just wonder, I just wonder if I put one of these cards in your bulletin, if you could say, yeah, it was on this day that God's mercy was showered upon me. And maybe you're saying, 
I, I don't have that day. I just know it was a period of time. And that's all right too because I don't actually remember the exact date. I just remember where it was relative to the calendar. And maybe God's saying, you grew up in the church and we've just been doing this together the whole time. And at some point, maybe the light bulb boldly went off or at another point, you're just transitioned into a relationship with him on a deeper level. Or maybe you're saying, I just don't know about any of this stuff, but I do know I need God's mercy and grace. And perhaps you could put that on the bottom of what we have in this card. I'm asking God on this day for his mercy to find me. And here's what I believe. If you sincerely ask for his mercy to find you, he will unquestionably respond And if you put a date on there and you say, okay, I'm going to watch. I'm going to test you, God. Trust me. We may be having a conversation in my office two weeks, two months, two years from now because you said, Lord, I do need your mercy. God is on a mission. And he has each of us in his crosshairs. And his goal isn't to take away, but to add to And he wants to make each of us a part of his family forever in immortality and love. If God is working in your heart, maybe you need to put something on there as a reminder saying, yeah, I need to do something. Or maybe you want to just come forward and say, I want to begin the process of settling that. And I would love that as well because that's why we're here. But regardless, if God is working in your heart and he's prompting you, and you follow that prompt, things will begin to change. If God is working in your heart and he's prompting you and you're saying, ah, not now. (laughs) One thing I know about God, he doesn't make us do things, but he does work on us. And maybe he's working on you. Let's stand, and however it is that God is working in our hearts this morning, I encourage you to just Open yourself up to that and surrender to it. And just trust in faith that he does have good things in store for you.